Okay, First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Then we're in James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with, the, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of, the, of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Amen. Good. Um, we've come to our penultimate talk now in this series. And uh, we're looking at the defining, uh, I suppose, values or uh, practices that really energize us as a church and uh, define what we do when we come together, on, particularly on Sundays for our, our time of worship. So you'll see there um, that where we've been through so far, the first three we sort of understood as what, what, what have been described as the ordinary means of grace, God's ordinary uh, way of, of, of feeding and, and growing and nurturing his people. They're not ordinary because they're boring, they're ordinary because uh, it's, it's, it's ordinary stuff like words and bread and wine, uh, everyday things. Um, but then I suppose we're coming now into the, the second half, uh, four, five, and six, which is what we describe as the extraordinary means that God uses to grow the church. Ordinary means, are, I suppose, are available to everybody. Extraordinary means, uh, you know, he, he apportions depending on his sovereign decision and, and, and gifts that he wants to give out. And so we're, we're looking at number five this week, which is healing. And uh, healing's a big topic. And so as with all of these topics, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and give a bit of an overview and to sort of state where uh, the, the over, oversight of where the Bible seems to speak on these issues. Um, and it might find, you might find that a lot of questions come up in your mind as a result of this. And that's good. That's what I want to do is try and generate uh, your thoughts. But if you just ask, uh, speak to Chris Ferris after this, He'll read the book, and he'll give you all the answers uh, in a few weeks' time, so um, don't come to me. Great. Uh, but we're going to look at uh, the subject of healing this week, and first of all, we're going to ask ourselves, why do we need healing? It may sound obvious, but it's not. Why do we need healing? What has God, number two, what has God done about it? Number three, can we be healed today? And then number four, how do we practice healing? Okay, so why do we need it? What has God done about it? Can we be healed today? And then how do we practice healing? And um, some of the scriptures that we'll be looking at um, in this summary will be up on the screen. Others will be on your, on your sheet. And I'll let you know what they are as we go through. So first of all, it's important to understand why do we need healing? Because it's not self-evident why we need it. Um, it's important to establish a framework okay, for this discussion. 
Uh, and so what I try and do is give you the, the big picture, and, and hopefully that will help you whether you consider yourself an insider or an outsider, an insider to the faith of uh, faith in Jesus, or an outsider, someone who's looking in, who doesn't maybe have faith in Jesus, wouldn't call themselves a Christian, but, but maybe just wants to understand uh, what do Christians believe about healing. Um, and so I hope this will serve you no matter what side of the fence you're sitting. Uh, I think we can all admit, irrespective of our background or beliefs, that uh, sickness and illness is a reality that all of us will grapple with at some point in our lives. Um, personally, um, but also we'll see it in, in our friends and loved ones, right? So this is not something that's alien to us. This is not a concept um, that's out there somewhere. This is something that will affect each of us. Um, but but how, how do we explain why sickness and illness and eventually death, why is it there? How do we explain why it's there? And how do we explain what we should do about it? All right, so, so most of us will, will accept that, that there is a need for help, there is a need for medicine, there is a need for, for treatment and all the rest of it, but few people ask why it's there in the first place. Sickness and illness, as, as, as we know, is a grim reality of life, right? It's an unacceptable intrusion on, on, on the life that we love to live, and for many people, um, it, it terminates in a, in a devastating experience of death and sorrow. But, but have you ever stopped to think why you feel like that? You know, uh, why do you feel devastation? Why do you feel pain? Why do you feel a sense of loss? Where does that come from? You know, uh, if, if we're, uh, as a, as a you know, uh, human beings, if we've been around for thousands of years, um, why have we not sort of evolved to simply accept that sickness and healing is just a thing and feel nothing? Why, why is it that we each carry this deep pain, this deep loss? Well, what I want to do um, in this first point, really, is to try and sketch a biblical framework of why there is sickness and why um, we need healing. And what I'm doing is leaning on the Judeo-Christian understanding. And I say Judeo-Christian because at the start it all began um, as, as God's interaction with the people that we've come to know as the, as the Jews, the people of Israel, uh, and then subsequently that has been uh, you know, um, through Jesus and through followers of Jesus extended uh, into the church. But the Judeo-Christian culture, or Judeo-Christian understanding, begins by this. The universe was created by God and for God. That's where it all begins. The universe was created by God, for God, and humanity was made in his image. We've said this multiple times here at Foundation Church. Human beings are created in the image of God, by God, and for his glory. And as such, to be created in the image of something or someone means that you resemble the one who did the creating. So there's something about us as human beings, irrespective of uh, what we look like and where we're from and what tribe we're, we're a part of, there is something about each human being that resembles their creator God in the way that perhaps in the way they look, in the way they behave, in the way they think, something or other. And their calling, our calling, uh, was to reflect God's goodness, reflect his, his, his glory, I suppose, to the rest of the created order. All right? So the animals, uh, the trees, the mountains one another, we're to reflect God's glory. We're to rule as kings. That's what we were originally created to do. But as, as the early chapters of Genesis uh, remind us through this sort of narrative story language, it shows us that uh, that perfect uh, plan, I suppose, that per perfect realm didn't last for long uh, because we, we read that humanity fell 
uh, in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, they our first parents disobeyed God. They denied him. They denied his word, denied his character. They chose their own glory over his. They thought they knew better. They used their influence to build a name for themselves and not a name for God. And everything after that fell apart. Um, when they chose to go against God, uh, that destroyed this perfect balance that God had set up and created, this harmony uh, between people and within people and between people and God, most importantly. That which God created was originally beautiful and we made it ugly, we, we messed it up. And when all this came to light in the garden and, and God realized what the first, our first parents had done, uh, God spoke and he said to them, that there will be consequences for your decisions. And God spoke to, to Adam, uh, the first man, and he said, because uh, you've, you've, you've listened to a lie and you've done what I, I told you not to do, cursed is the ground because of you, in pain you're going to eat from it all the days of your life, you're going to sweat, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna work, you're not going to get much from the ground until eventually one day you will return to the dust. Because you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Frustration, sweat, work, pain, toil, and eventually you're going back to the dust because that's where you started. And so ever since then, ever since that, that moment when they turned their backs on God, our bodies have borne the consequences of that fatal decision. All of us will return at one point or other back to the dust. We're made of carbon and we'll become carbon again, you know, uh, in, in, in terms of the atoms separated out. Our minds, we've lost the ability to think good thoughts after God. Instead, uh, we think th thoughts that just prioritize ourselves. We're, we're inward turning by nature. Uh, our bodies are, are bear the consequences. Our, our relationships uh, are broken down. Disharmony in our, in our minds. Disease between human beings, whether it's the, the gender wars, I suppose, or the race wars, or, or whatever uh, you know, groupings um, we, we divide into. The theologians have called this total depravity. It means that every area of the human experience has been affected by sin in some way or other. There is not one part of our lived experience that is not tainted and corrupted by sin somehow or other. Our hearts desire bad things, our minds make bad choices, and we live in bad systems where oppression can take place. This is the effect of that first sin, the fall in Genesis 3. And so I hope you, that this brief overview that I've just given you here about how it starts um, will help us to understand then why sickness and death uh, exist, certainly from a Judeo-Christian perspective. Um, where, where it all came from. And, and hopefully then it'll help us to understand why therefore we need healing. Because we all realize things aren't the way they should be. And the Bible gives us this framework in which to understand that better. It shows us why we need healing. Um, and maybe you think that that, that, that uh, storyline is a bit far-fetched, especially if you're looking into the faith from outside and you're thinking... That just sounds like a fairy tale or something like that. Well, um, we can debate about that and, and, and look at the source and all the rest of it, but it's a view that has been maintained for at least 5,000 years um, and, and worked on and developed. This is nothing new that I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this morning uh, from a historic point of view anyway. 
and, and uh, that, that attitude towards sin and brokenness and then God's uh, response to that in a few moments has really underpinned uh, you know, our Western society's pursuit of ending sickness or helping suffering and caring, whether that's through the, the building of hospitals or, or the development of medicines um, and any, any way that we can alleviate suffering. Uh, it, was, it was churches, it was Christians that were at the forefront of those movements uh, in history. Uh, certainly in our secular society in the West, we've forgotten uh, why we hate sickness. We've forgotten why we mourn death. Uh, we've forgotten where we've come from. Um, our secular society will say, well, if there's nothing out there, if there's nothing beyond the grave, then why should we feel bad about sickness? Why should we think suffering is intolerable? Because if there's nothing out there, then how we feel about sickness and suffering is just irrelevant at the end of the day. It means nothing. But this biblical worldview here that we're just sketching out hopefully gives us a rational framework um, in which to understand where sickness and suffering comes from. Okay? So why do we need healing? We need it because uh, we are fallen uh, from that original perfect picture. So secondly then, uh, what has God done about it? What has God done to, to interact and to reverse, I suppose, uh, this, this devastating issue um, that our first parents caused? Well, uh, from the outset, God didn't actually need to do anything. We need to be clear about that. He wasn't sort of compelled to do this from anything outside of himself. No other force told him to do anything. He was completely free to choose. He was free, uh, in theory, to, to leave us, to destroy ourselves and the world. And it wouldn't have taken long if he had just stood back and let us uh, you know, hack ourselves to pieces. That's what we would have done. But God chose otherwise, for no other reason than because he chose, because he loves and he chose. He chose to step in, he chose to save, right? He chose to rescue us from, from the disaster that was unfolding. He chose to rescue ourselves from ourselves. He chose to heal. See, in that framework we've just been thinking about, we, we've seen God as the creator, and we've seen God as the judge who, who pronounces the curse but that's not all we see about God. In fact, um, we see that God says quite clearly, I'm not done yet. I'm not, I'm not done with my people. I'm not done with my creation. Uh, There's a great verse in Exodus 15. I think it's going to come up on the screen behind me. There it is. Good. Um, uh, let, me, let me read it for you before we explain it. If you will diligently, this is God speaking to his people, right? If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, repeats it again, if you, if you give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. I'm the Lord, your healer. What he's saying here is if you listen to me, if you obey me, if you, if you trust me, if you follow me, then I will remove the curse. I will heal you. Because I am the Lord, your healer. The, 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 the Hebrew there is Yahweh, Rapha, the Lord, your healer. It's, it's the second time we were learning in the Advanced Theology course uh, a week or so ago. It's the second time that God actually names himself. He gives his personal name to his people. And the second time that he chooses to name himself, he says, I'm the healer. So key it is to God's character and who he is. I'm the God who heals. It's who he is. And right there, is there not a hope that starts to flood into an otherwise dark scenario you know a chink of hope comes as the, as the curtains open a little bit because right there 
God states his plan uh, of healing and restoration. He reveals himself as the God uh, who heals. He, he effectively says to his people uh, over generation after generation, he says, I, I'm going to undo the curse that you, that you have brought on yourself. I'm going to bring you life instead of the death that you have brought on yourself. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to heal you. I, I don't want my creation to be dominated by, by the kingdom of darkness and death and sin. My kingdom is going to be a kingdom of life and favor and blessing. And so the rest of the Bible from Genesis 3 onwards, God is establishing this kingdom that he started in Eden, in the garden. And one day he plans to fill the entire earth uh, with his kingdom. The whole earth will be filled with the glory of the knowledge of the glory of God. Sorry, And that will include his healing power. I'm going to give you, he says, a bright and wonderful and unimaginably spectacular future. The thing that I began in the garden, I will carry on to completion, says God through the scripture. My kingdom shall come on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus entered the story, and he began by saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Can you just imagine the excitement, the tinge of hope that starts to bleed into the people who walk in darkness. It's no surprise, is it, that on Jesus' first day, after he kicked off his ministry and said, right, the kingdom of heaven's among you, it's no surprise what he did. He healed people. Right? His first miracle in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen this as a church, his first miracle was that he healed a man with an unclean spirit. And then he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever. And he left her immediately. And then it says in verse 32 of Mark chapter 1, that evening, have I put it up? I'm not sure. Yeah, that evening at sunset, they, that is the town, brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And as the gospel of Mark progresses, and we've seen this as a church over the, the months We've been looking at it. Jesus heals the lepers. right? He heals the paralyzed. He heals the disabled. He heals those who are deaf, who are blind, who are oppressed by demons. Those who have seizures. The woman who is uh, afflicted with bleeding for 12 years. Uh, he heals psychosocial uh, healing. He heals the outcast. He even raised a girl from the dead. And yes, these things show that Jesus has power. There's power in the name of Jesus. Yes, they gained him a hearing for his preaching so that people could hear the gospel and be saved. But what Jesus is doing in healing, the healing itself, is that he is showing that the kingdom of God is coming. And this is what it looks like. It's a place of restoration when God reigns. Darkness is terrified. It is swept away. Instead, it is the place of wholeness and, and healing and restoration. I am the Lord, your healer. That's what Jesus was saying through his actions, healing these people time and time and time again. Of course, we know from, from reading further on in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus was on a deeper mission. He was on a very, deeper mission, uh, very deep mission. Not just, not just to come provide physical healing as wonderful and glorious as that is. Jesus came to provide total healing. 
He died on a cross. And, and in so doing, he took sin with him. He took corruption with him. He took mess with him. Your sin, your corruption, your mess. And he took it down to the grave. All right, he buried that stuff forever. And then he rose again. Remember God said to Adam, you'll return to dust. And then Jesus, the second Adam, comes from the dust as he was raised to eternal life. Of course, the center of the Christian gospel then carries this hope. No, it's more more than a hope. Hope sounds weak in our language, I think. It is an expectation of complete healing because of what Jesus has done in being raised from the grave. And so just to be absolutely clear, folks, when you place your faith in Jesus, that is when you believe the story about him is true and you believe it applies to you, that he's done this to you, when you do that, you too will rise from the dust. You too will rise with a renewed body, a glorious body, a perfected body, shot through with life. That's why baptism is so cool, by the way. You know, when we dump people in the water, we're saying they're buried with Christ, Romans 6, and when they come back up again, they are raised to new life with Christ. We're demonstrating the reality that we're talking about here through baptism. That's what happens when you put faith in Jesus. And of course, the story may end when you go to your grave, when I go to my grave. And yet, a new story begins. When you enter the new heavens and the new earth, that that new and glorified uh, existence that God is preparing. Um, No more pain, no more sorrow. Of course there's no more pain. Of course there's no more sorrow. Of course there's no more suffering in the new heavens and the new earth. Look at what God is doing. If you trust in Jesus, this this is where you're heading. Complete healing in Jesus' name. Okay, so we've seen a bit of a, a framework for why we need healing. Um, we've, we've, we've just been thinking about what God has done to provide that healing through his son, Jesus Christ. So thirdly then, let's, let's look maybe more specifically and ask ourselves, well, can we be healed today? Okay, can we be healed today? And perhaps that's the question that you're, you're coming to all this with um, as, as we sit here this morning. Well, um, as we've been thinking a few moments ago, Jesus, when he came uh, to begin his ministry on, on the earth, he came to show and bring the kingdom of God through his words and through his deeds, through his actions, through his healing, ultimately through his cross and resurrection. He came to bring the kingdom of God. And so our question for this morning, I suppose, is does his mission stop after his ministry or does it continue? Because Jesus in, in, in his body is no longer with us. He's up at the right hand of God the Father, wherever that is. So therefore, is this something we should expect today or did it just end when Jesus arose uh, to heaven? Uh, and I guess we could also ask then, well, does the Bible tell us that healing is for today? And I guess we've covered, covered some of this again in, in our uh, studies through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, by the way, if, you, if you've no idea about the Gospel of Mark, you can go online and listen uh, to the series um, through, through just taking our time through the Gospel of Mark and just being amazed again at, at Jesus and what he's been doing. But we saw that, and we saw that Jesus, when he starts to, to go, go out of his, in his ministry to show and bring the kingdom, he starts to enroll his disciples in the training scheme. 
Do you remember in Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus says he called the 12, then he sent them out with authority over demons, and he told them, go and preach the kingdom. Do you remember that? And they came back, end of Mark chapter 6, verse 13, it says they came back and they said, we cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Okay, so it's not just Jesus that does the healing, even in the Gospels, it's, it's, it's his 12 disciples, his representatives, those who go out in the name of Jesus with a message of the kingdom, they do the healing too. So maybe you think, well, that's just the, the, the apostles themselves. Well, we see in, a, in, in one of the other Gospel accounts, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus gathers this time, not the 12, but 72. Whether that included the 12 or not, it doesn't say, but 72 extra disciples. Again, training them up, saying, go out. Almost identical words, go out, preach the gospel, heal the sick. And he said to them, heal the sick in the town that you come to and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. See that? Go and announce the kingdom and go and demonstrate it by healing. A wider group. But maybe all this stopped after the time of Jesus and the disciples. Um, maybe that's what you think. But actually, the New Testament writers don't allow us to conclude that because it seems to be when you read the letters that came after, um, I suppose, after the, uh, the time of Jesus, um, addressing the various churches across the, the known world, um, letters contain information that lead us to believe that healing is still to continue, right? Uh, so, so you can see on the back of your sheets here in Paul's letter to the, the church in Corinth, sort of modern-day Greece, um, he, he says uh, in verse 7, uh, here we go. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We looked at these verses a few weeks ago. And down at verse 9, uh, you know, he said, uh, for one is given this, one is given that. And verse 9, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, and so forth. So in this uh, letter to the church, Paul is saying that, that the Holy Spirit has given the gift of healing, gifts of healing, the gift of faith, the working of miracles. They seem to come as a bit of a cluster, those three things together. Uh, but either way, it seems to be that Paul expects that these should be part of a healthy church. He doesn't say these things are just temporary and they're going to fizzle out one day, so enjoy them while they last. He's showing that the Holy Spirit will give these gifts to the church to, to build her up, to strengthen her, uh, to strengthen the people in it. Do you note, uh, before we move on, do you note um, in verse 9, uh, the only gift that's mentioned in the plural is gifts of healing. Gifts of healing. In fact, the original Greek uh, tells, uh, tells us gifts of healings. It's plural. And... Um, the commentators have been scratching their heads about this. Uh, but conclude, generally speaking, <clears throat> that suggests that some people are gifted uh, with the ability to heal or faith to heal certain diseases. Okay, so it's, it's less likely that some one individual is given a so-called gift of healing in the church and can heal all diseases. Come to me and I'll heal you all. But rather, it just seems to be that, that uh, gifts of healing suggest a plurality of giftings. Uh, perhaps someone has you know, uh, an ability to, to pray successfully for the healing of, um, I don't know, let's just say uh, head cold. You know, someone has successfully the ability to pray for uh, another issue, cancer of the blood or something like that. You know, and and uh, that suggests that that's probably what's going on here. 
Either way, um, Paul seems to think that this is something that should continue as part of the healthy church. Is Paul the only one who talks about healing in the church? Absolutely not. And we can see there in James chapter 5, another, another um, not even an apostle, but James, the brother of Jesus, uh, writes to various churches again, and he almost provides a how-to, how to do healing in the local church. Um, it's, it's probably as clear as you'll ever be on any of the spiritual gifts, how to do healing uh, in James chapter 5. And he says there in verse 14, uh, is, anyone, you know, is anyone sick? Uh, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. It's a how-to of uh, healing. You know, if he's sinned, uh, confess your sins, and you may be healed. So together, James and Paul give us, uh, I would say, on the basis of um, that, plus the, what we see in the Gospels already, in the ministry of Jesus and the 12 and the 72, a clear biblical picture that, that, that healing is expected today as part of a healthy church. Or put it another way, there is no indication in the Bible whatsoever that healing is expected to tail off at some point in the future. For those of us here in the 21st century, oh, but of course, that was then, this is now. There is no indication whatsoever that is the case. You won't find it. So it's pretty convincing in the scripture that, that, that healing is for today. It's worth to mention, I think, and just again to be honest with one another here, that, that many people do struggle, don't they, with the idea of healing. I, I do. Um, struggle to believe that healing still works today. Um, or it might work for other people in certain types of churches, but not for us, not for me, not, not in my experience. Even if the Bible seems fairly clear on this issue, and I think it does, very clear. Uh, we, we've sometimes associated healing and healing practices with, with, with eccentric behavior within certain you know, fringe parts of the church, I suppose. Various excesses, and maybe uh, as a result you've kind of dialed back on, on, on what you think uh, should be happening. Um, that's for those kind of Christians, you know. Maybe for you it's more personal, even, even more personal. Uh, perhaps you have prayed for healing yourself, for yourself or for someone else that you love and care for, and that healing has not come. And maybe you have even prayed over a prolonged period of time, and it didn't work. It didn't go away. Or maybe, worse still, the person ended up dying. And so you feel let down by God as a result. Disappointed, your faith has been robbed. Full of dismay. Maybe you just feel stupid forever hoping that kind of thing would happen in the first place. And so for you, the idea of praying for healing and, and expecting healing is, uh, is, is almost too painful. I think, I think if we're going to learn from this as a church, we have to acknowledge that that's how many of us feel when it comes to the subject of healing. It's not that we don't understand the Bible. It's just, it just doesn't seem to work. And so here now, I think today, perhaps for you, certainly is for me, it feels like we've come to a bit of a fork in the road here. Two paths that we can choose based on what we've just been thinking together. Um... We can either choose, I think, to trust the Bible and what it says, or we can choose to trust our own experiences and how we've been treated. 
But we do have to choose, don't we, which one we're going to do as a church and, and you as individuals as well. Um, are we going to listen to God's word and have that inform our lives? Or are we going to listen to our word and have that inform our lives? I know you know the answer to that, but let's, let's be honest, functionally, we listen to our own words and our own experiences and they define us, don't they, more often than we like to admit. So here's my challenge to us as a community on mission, seeking to come under the word of God and, and listen to it. Let's allow the word of God, when it comes to healing, to set the pace here. Even if it's different to our own experience, even if it seems at variance to how we think things should be, let's allow God's word this morning to shape and explain our experiences rather than our experiences shaping and explaining God's word. Otherwise, the Bible just becomes a little helpful tool in our hands that we could just bring out when it works for us. But it does not become God's authoritative means of speaking his word to us. So are we going to listen to God's word this morning? Because if we, if we attune our ears to hear his voice, then we will start to experience his love and his compassion and his tenderness. And when we listen to him, he will say to you, I am Yahweh Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. Don't you know me? It's what I do. It's what I've done through my son. So choose to believe that and not your experiences. As real as they are and painful as they may be, choose to believe God first of all. Choose to believe that the grave is empty. Choose to believe that the Lord Jesus is resurrected in a glorified body, giving proof to God's healing power. Choose to believe that everyone who trusts in Jesus will one day be completely free, completely healed. And so this side of heaven, we might experience total healing. It is available to us. This side of heaven, we might experience a partial or a temporary healing. But this side of heaven, we can experience a substantial healing. Okay, And I'm talking about a real healing, not a made-up feeling in, in, your, in your mind somewhere, but real healing in your body. It is possible. I've spoken to people for whom this has happened. I've read of these things. You might experience real and substantial healing in your mind. Real and substantial healing in your relationships. God knows they need healing as much as our physical symptoms. So let's choose this morning to trust his ways, trust his timing, trust his promises, and then act accordingly. Nicky Gumbel in the Alpha course that we've done as a church said, if you never pray for healing, no one will be healed. But if you start praying for healing, some people will be healed. You don't have because you don't ask, says Jesus. Can we be healed today? The answer is yes. Substantially, maybe even totally. One day, absolutely. So how then as a church do we practice uh, healing 
You know, what, does it, what does it look like? There's, there's so many avenues here, so many areas um, that we can, we can do, I suppose, when it comes to practicing healing as a church. And I just want to, again, uh, listen to Scripture with you and, and have it dictate how we should apply this, this teaching. And we get, we get a really great steer, don't we, from James chapter 5 in this, in this letter. Um, so there, there, I believe there are three you know, broad areas that we can apply then this practice of healing as a church. Uh, community-led healing. I should have done a slide. We don't have a slide. Community-led healing, elder-led healing, and gifting-led healing. Community, elder, gifting. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, Community-led healing, where do we get that from? Well, uh, James 5, verse 16 tells us uh, where it is. Therefore, confess your sins to who? One another. And pray for who? One another, that you may be healed. Okay? It doesn't say confess your sins to your pastor or your priest or or, or your confidant. You can do those things and that might be fine. But confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you, you may be healed. Right? This is a community project. We get to pray for one another. We get to do this together. Each person in the church, the community on mission, can and should pray for healing when you hear of a need. And then he goes on to say, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you are a Christian, right? If you you are a believer in Jesus, you have been made righteous because of God's grace. Okay, you are that righteous person. And so, so listen to what it says there in verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person, that is you, for faith, faith in Jesus, is, uh, is powerful. Has great power as it is working. Do you realize the power that you have? I remember in uh, one of my previous churches, um, who, who, just to be clear, would not have described themselves in any sense as a charismatic church or, or the awareness of the gifts of the Spirit, nothing like that. But in one of my previous churches, uh, there was a very um, tense and um, shocking incident that happened uh, where a young girl, uh, she's probably seven or eight years of age, um, previously fit and well, uh, a middle child of three, uh, was suddenly, suddenly contracted a, what we describe as an upper respiratory tract infection, a bit of a bad cold uh, sort of thing, viral, what, what have you. Um, but but the, the thing that, that made this a very uh, stunning story is, is the rapid deterioration um, that her, her, her body um, just was overcome by this, uh, this virus at the time they didn't know what it was. So much so that within 12 hours of the onset of her symptoms, this is way before COVID, right? So it's not to do with COVID. 12 hours from the onset of her symptoms, she was in hospital, couldn't breathe. Within 24 hours, she's in intensive care unit in the Royal couldn't breathe, on a ventilator, firing all sorts of drugs at her. They had no idea, no idea what was going on. Antibiotics, steroids, antivirals, whatever, antifungals, whatever they could get, get it into her. Okay, her kidneys were shutting down. Parents were distraught, as you can well imagine. Um, Just the severity, (laughs) the force of this thing came out of the blue, otherwise fit and well, previously well. And uh, as a church, we could do nothing except gather in prayer. That's all we've got, times like that. And so some other uh, members organized a prayer, prayer gathering and, and uh, went on late into the night. And it was just an opportunity for us as a church, small, smallish church, 
uh, to gather together, to worship God, again, just to remind ourselves of the promises of who he is, right, the stuff we're talking about here, uh, to, to, to stir our faith, to pray, uh, to pray and to keep praying, and pray like never before, because, you know, it, it really felt like this was on a knife edge here. And, uh, you know, the doctors were having conversations with the parents that she may not pull through. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And um, uh, we, we, we went home later that night, late into the night, um, with no, no sense that, the, that this was going to work out well, no, no news from the hospital, nothing. Um, but, you know, praise God, uh, that next day and, and the day after that, for whatever reason... She, she turned a corner and uh, started to waken up and the body started to respond to whatever that they'd given her um, or not. Maybe it was our prayer. I think it was our prayer. But, but uh, yeah, she, she, she got better. And eventually they, they took out the tube. She's breathing again. She spent a week or so on the ward in, in, in the respiratory thing and then got home. And like two weeks later, she was at church. Uh, and, you know, you wouldn't think there was any, anything wrong with her. It was amazing. But that, that, I tell that story um, because that was a great example of this community-led prayer for healing. You know, we, we were leaning on the promises of God and, and reminding ourselves of who he is, and, and we have nothing except faith and prayer. And God, I fully believe, answered our prayers. And to the surprise of all concerned, um, she turned a corner and is now a normal, healthy child, doing great. Praise God. So as a community... When we're talking, right? When we're sharing, when we're having coffee or whatever we're doing after church, going around each other's houses, and we become aware of a problem, uh, uh, an issue that needs uh, the healing power of God, then let's just get really good at asking, can I pray with you? Can I pray with you? Okay, the worst that's going to happen is the person will say, no, thank you. Not right now. That's fine. Okay, we ask, can I pray with you? Or, or, or if you are aware in your, in your interactions with other people that you're the one who's saying that things aren't great, that you're struggling with this, this issue, this disease, this pain, uh, this, this mental struggle, whatever it happens to be, even a relational issue, can you, let's get really good and be okay with saying, can you pray with me? It's hard to pray on your own when you're suffering. That's why God gives us one another. Can you pray with me? And, and just do it there and then. You know, please, just don't go home and start thinking about it. Um, if you miss a trick, that's okay. You can go home and phone the person up. That's fine. Totally works. Um, but let's just get really good at, at hearing when there's an issue there and just saying, look, let's pray. Can I pray with you? And so we can pray one-to-one. -one, and that's just a wonderful way of blessing one another. Um, sometimes it might be appropriate uh, to say, look, hey, can I bring someone else into this prayer, uh, into the mix? You know, can so-and-so come and join with us? I'd love for them to pray with us. Is that okay? Um, and sometimes just having, having a few people praying uh, for healing prayer can be really strengthening. It means that one of them can maybe be listening a bit more to, to the Lord and what he may be saying. Remember we saw last week where we talked about revelatory gifts, right? And how God can sometimes make his, his will known uh, uh, um, in, in a sudden and impactful way. And maybe that can happen as we're praying. We're praying for healing. The prayer of faith, it says, will save uh, the one who is sick. So let's listen, let's, let's listen and maybe weigh and share. If we think God is maybe speaking or share, you know, encouraging us or comforting us with a scripture or something during that healing prayer, then just say, look, I think, I think the Lord is, you know, just wants to encourage you with this scripture here, or this picture I've just received. I just want to encourage you with this, or what, what have you. This builds our faith, folks, right? It's cumulative. The more, the more that we do this, the more easy and natural it becomes for each of us. 
So community-led prayer, something we all do um, through the righteousness of Christ. Okay, number two, uh, elder-led healing. Sorry, community-led healing, elder-led healing. We get that from James 5, verse 13 and 14. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Praise is just prayers set to music, right? Uh, uh, and number four, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Right? Elder-led prayer. That suggests uh, from the, the way this verse is constructed uh, that the sick person is too sick to move, too sick to get to church, calling for the elders to come and pray over them, too infirm, maybe unable to attend the gathering, too weak to pray, that type of thing. Not, not exactly sure, but there is a calling, isn't there, that's taking place. And anointing as well, anointing with oil. James doesn't tell us what that's for or what that achieves. We see the, the disciples doing something similar in Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark 6, 13. When they went out, they anointed with oil and healed many people. And probably some sort of priestly act, you know, marking this individual out for special attention from the Lord. Um, that, that's possibly what's going on. We're not sure. But it's certainly another weapon in our arsenal, isn't it? To bless and to, and to pray um, for healing. Um, and, you know, I just want to say that in and of itself, there's nothing uh, particularly special or more powerful about elder-led prayer for healing uh, than community-led prayer for healing. Um, please don't be thinking that there's like community-led if it's not that sore, but if it's really sore, call the elders. That that's not quite what we're seeing here. Uh, elders don't function uh, necessarily in that way, um, but you know, it's likely that the elders are coming as a representation of the whole church. So if you're too sick to come out to church, for example, to be prayed over, uh, the elders are sort of representing the church to the individual, saying, we are here, we are the community, we are praying over you, and we're bringing uh, with you the prayers of the people, so to speak. Um, they're also representing Jesus, okay, the great shepherd, and as shepherds, uh, they're representing Jesus to that person, so it's probably a bit of that. Um, and practically, how might that work here at Foundation, if, if, if that's something um, that you, you just want to lean into and receive, um, that's something that I am certainly able to provide, give me a call, give me a shout, come speak to me, uh, I, I will come to your house if, you, if that's better for you, I'll bring Marion, my wife, with me, um, or I'll bring another trusted friend, depending on the context or the situation, it's just good um, to, to do it like that, I think, um, but certainly, I, I, you know, again, just want to, I want to come under scripture, you know, and if it says elders should be doing this, I should be doing that. That's, I mean, that's, that's one of my callings. Okay, community-led healing, elder-led healing, thirdly and finally, gifting-led healing. Where do we get that from? You've guessed it, 1 Corinthians 12. Gifts of healing. James tells us that all are called, all are able to pray for healing, but Paul tells us that some are especially equipped to pray for healing. Okay, some are especially empowered to do that. Maybe that's you. Um, maybe you know that you have uh, maybe an awareness that your prayers are answered quite frequently when you're praying for healing. Maybe that's something that the Lord has gifted you with. Um, maybe, maybe sometimes that's accompanied by the gift of faith as well. I think faith and healing do come together, or faith and miracles, for example. That's probably why Paul mentions those three together in verse 9. Faith, healing, and miracles. And maybe that's you. you know, much like prophecy, much like administration, much like teaching, some are gifted in the church with healing faith. The ability to pray and God listens in a striking way. And so if that's you, if that's your gifting, uh, let me first of all say, keep praying, don't stop. Uh, keep using your gift, we need you. 
Um, and if, you, if you're saying to yourself, yeah, I think that's me, I think I've noticed increased frequency of, of God answering my prayers, um, then please come and talk to me. Please get in touch with me somehow, um, because I would love to strengthen you and equip you even more to serve in the local church. Just like every gifting that the Lord gives us is to be used to, to strengthen and build up the local church. And if it's not you, if it's not any of us, that's okay, we'll pray for that. We'll pray that someone uh, will be given that gift. What a wonderful gift that is. It's a community-led, elder-led, gifting-led. Let's pray. Do you want to stand? Let's pray together. <clears throat> and um, we're not going to just uh, pray a simple prayer and start singing. Um, I think it's important, after this type of message and after this challenge, it's been a challenge to me, um, I think it's important that we actually um, do the praying, right? do the healing prayer. Um, so what I'm going to ask um, you, just in the quietness of this moment, um, before we do anything, is to ask yourself, do you desire healing? Do you desire healing? And maybe there's an area of your life that um, you know you want and need the healing power of God to be present and active. And so we're going to lean on the promises of God. We're going to lean on the teaching of Scripture and listen to the voice of God. And we're going to ask for him to come and move in power and healing. And don't worry, nothing weird is going to happen, all right? There's no one coming to the front, nothing funny like that. But what I am going to ask you to do is to be a little bit brave. And if you know that you need healing or you sense that God is calling you, that he wants to heal you, in some area or other. I'm going to ask you to be brave and put your hand up and then put it back down again. That's okay. That just acknowledges to yourself uh, that you need healing and there's an area that you need healing. So if that's you, put your hand up and put it back down again. If there's a physical illness that you're struggling with, physical disease, maybe just a set of symptoms that you're not sure what they are, if that's you, Put your hand up and back down again. Maybe you feel pain in your body and it's never been diagnosed, but you feel this pain somewhere, localized in some part of you. And if that's you again, please just feel free to put your hand up and back down again. Maybe some dysfunction in your body, something is just not working right as it should be or as it used to. And again, you would love to feel and know that healing presence of God. So putting your hand up is just a way of saying yes to God. Maybe for you it's not a physical thing, it's not a physical symptom, maybe it's in the realm of your mind and your mental health. Maybe you're somebody who is uh, struggling with the darkness of depression or anxiety or any uh, psychological problems, bipolar, schizophrenia, any of these things. Maybe, again, it's never been diagnosed, but you know there's a battle in your mind. Again, just put your hand up and put it back down again if you want to acknowledge that need. Maybe for you it's in the area of relationships. Um, your interaction with other people, a pain of breakdown or betrayal or hurt in the past. Again, God will come and heal. He will bring healing. So again, if that's you and you want that, healing, you want to know that, then please just feel free to put your hand up and down again. And perhaps finally for you, it might be in the area that hasn't been covered yet, spiritual. 
Maybe, maybe you're sensing or aware of a spiritual darkness hanging over you. Maybe you have been involved in some way or other as a younger person in occult practices, witchcraft, all those types of things, seances. And again, you're just aware that there is a, a weight, there is a need for healing on those things in the past. Again, if that's you, that's okay. To those of you who have um, registered that you're desiring the healing power of God, well done. And if that's you and you just didn't feel comfortable putting your hand up again, that's totally okay. And we're going to pray just now. We're going to ask uh, for God, our healer, to come and bring healing power to us as a church. So let's pray. God, our healer, you have compassion over us. It's who you are. You are the one who heals. And so we pray, Father God, your kingdom come and your will be done. And with that brings life and with that brings healing and, and restoration. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come in power and move among us. And we pray, Father God, that you would grant healing in Jesus' name. Grant us healing of our, our bodies for those symptoms that we're all too aware of, that pain, that diagnosis, that stuff that we take tablets for, whatever it happens to be. Grant healing in Jesus' name. Lord, for those of us who are battling in our minds with darkness and depression and anxiety or whatever it happens to be, bring healing in Jesus' name. Bring light, Lord, push out the darkness. We need you. Come, Holy Spirit. For those of us who need healing in the spiritual realm, we're battling with darkness and oppression. We don't know where it's coming from, but it's there. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for release. We pray that you would bind any evil forces that are at work among us in Jesus' name. Put them away, Lord. No darkness, only light. Only love where you are. No fear. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, for relationships that are just toxic or broken or distant, where we know that there is a problem, we know there is sin, whether it's towards us or by us or some combination of that. Again, Lord, we pray, we ask, God, our healer, bring healing. Bring healing to our relationships. In Jesus' name. Father, as a church, as a community on mission, would you deepen our faith for healing? Would you increase our trust in your promises that we see so clearly in Scripture? And would you tear us away from experiences, experiences that have had a negative effect on us in the past when it comes to healing? Renew our faith, Lord. Renew our trust. Renew our desire for what you can do and what you have done for us in Jesus and what you will do when he comes again. Holy Spirit, we need you. With this church, this little church, this ragtag group of people meeting in rented uh, property, may it be a place 
of healing. May it be a place of restoration, Lord. We pray for stories of, of restoration and healing in Jesus' name. So Holy Spirit, come, we pray.